It's hard enough to figure out how to navigate a special election in an off year in for Congress. It's really difficult when you've got a White House that's in chaos and Congress is expected to try to figure out what's going on with it. I'm Jason Dick. This is the Big Story Podcast. I'm joined by Simone Pathé, our senior politics reporter, and we're going to talk about some of these special elections and just about the political climate in general as we try to keep up with this, this fire hose of political turmoil that we're experiencing in Washington and across the country. Simone, welcome. Hello. Good to be here. First of all, I mean, we, we are, again, we, we seem to get a, like a, a controversy a day from, from the White House, whether it's Jim Comey being fired, whether it's the president disclosing classified information to Russian diplomats, whether it's the president trying to uh, put the kibosh on the investigation of his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. Congress is, you know, it, it, this is supposed to be the year that they do the legislating, right? Uh, and, and they're asked to react to all this news. They also need to fill out their own ranks. We've got several special elections, uh, primarily because we had people like Mike Pompeo become the CIA director, the former member of uh, Congress from Kansas, and and so we've got we have, up to this point we've had five special elections. One has already been decided, but we've got a few. Let's just run down the the roster of the special elections so far and get into like what what is it like? What are you seeing as a political reporter as these dynamics, all this stuff from Washington is coming out? Yeah, so the ones that we have left that we're watching are Montana, that's um, May 25th, so next Thursday. After that, you have South Carolina and Georgia, which are both on the same day, uh, which is kind of interesting. And I think some Democrats actually in South Carolina are worried that given all the national attention on Georgia, they're getting a little bit short shrifted because of that. But like you said, yes, there is a drip, drip, drip coming out of Washington every single day. Eventually, those little drips make their way out to the special elections all across the country. It Maybe takes a little bit longer for the news to pop there, but already we've seen a lot of issues surrounding Trump. Um, Republican struggles to pass the health the health care bill, excuse me, has also played out pr- quite prominently in a lot of these races too. So let's start with Montana, just because it's big. <laughs> it's, it's an at-large. It's there's one congressional seat in uh, there's two senators, obviously, but there's one congressional seat. It's an at-large seat. Mm-hmm. It's like a Senate seat, but you have to run every two years. Right. Uh, the uh, Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke uh, was was sworn in a couple months ago. That created this vacancy. Let's talk about the two candidates there, since we, you know this is the 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 most immediate um, Mm -hmm. race that's coming up, as you said, on the 25th. Right. So on the Democratic side, you have a first-time candidate. His name is Rob Quist. He is literally a Montana mountain man musician, (laughs) if you want to call him that. This world wouldn't be the same without you. We can never be too um, he wears a cowboy hat everywhere he goes. He is definitely... Barn jacket. Barn jacket, checking all the boxes. He's a folksy guy. Um, got a mustache. He's got a mustache. He's got a little twang. You know, he is he's definitely channeling that authentic Montana look in a way that you could argue that Greg Gianforte, the Republican, does not do as well. Um, he is being branded as a New Jersey millionaire. In reality, he has actually been in Montana for quite some time. It's not as if he, he just is off the boat from New Jersey. But he is a failed candidate. He ran for governor last year and lost to Democrat Steve Bullock. So this is his second candidacy. In, in a year when Trump did quite well in Montana. Exactly, which makes it a very interesting state politically, given different parties having power at the same time. Gianforte also has quite a bit of money. He's been able to self-fund. His gubernatorial campaign has done less of that so far with this race. On the other side, Quist has had a lot of financial problems. So you have a stark 
contrast between the two of them there. It's been interesting to see, even as Republicans are hammering Quist over back taxes, failure to pay taxes, going into debt, you know, they're making the argument that if this guy can't manage his personal finances, how is he going to run your government and your tax dollars? He's making the argument that he's actually just even more like an everyday Joe because everyone has financial problems. Um, He has made the case that it was a a medical issue that actually got him into debt in the first place, another attempt to try to connect with voters on an issue that is obviously very raw right now. You know, the, the health care issue has come up, the health care vote has come up in Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, are, are you seeing from your sources anything that uh, about the current sort of, I don't know, just the conflagration, the daily <laughs> conflagration from the White House? Uh, is it resonating in places like Montana? Because, you know, sometimes in in Washington, in New York, in, in places like we're, you know, the, the so-called Acela Corridor, mm-hmm. we, we tend to think that everybody everybody's as informed and everybody's as concerned and so forth. And you get like out you know, to places. I mean, I'm from Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, it's, a, it's a different sort of uh, atmosphere uh, in, in, in different places. Is this resonating in Montana? I think that's a great point that you just made is that, you know, folks across the country are not as enraptured with all of this as we are. They're not following the day to day. To them, it might look some like some sort of big scandal that is brewing, but they're not following the day to day. I was up in New Jersey last week um, in a district, Tom MacArthur's district, and uh, where, you know, he had a very contentious town hall and was asking some folks what their thoughts were about Comey being forced out. And, and they didn't know who I was talking about. One person asked, who's Comney? You know, the, <laughs> the name was not on the tip of their tongues the way it is here. It's not a hashtag that's trending on Twitter the way it is in D.C. So I think, you know, the extent to which Democrats are using this, they are probably a little bit better now at making the case that so-and-so Democratic congressional candidate could be an actual check on the president. And whatever's looming in Washington certainly helps them make that argument that a check is needed. Now, you're also covering this race in South Carolina. This mm-hmm. is uh, South Carolina's 5th District. It's just it's kind of south of Charlotte. It's almost like the Charlotte suburbs part right. of, of South right. Carolina. It's, it's not Charleston or the, the, the sort of uh, low, low country uh, areas of South right. Carolina. But this was a vacancy created by Mick Mulvaney's departure from the House to become mm-hmm. the Office of Management and Budget Director. Uh, what's going on with that race? Because there was just a, uh, a runoff. Yes, this is the race that will never end. We just can't get the two candidates settled here. So we have had- Republican side. On the Republican side, yes. We had uh, primaries on both sides, of course, a couple weeks ago. Democrat Archie Parnell was expected to win and did so handily. So we have the Democratic nominee. The trouble is the Republican side. Last night, we had a runoff primary between the two top finishers who finished top um, out of a field of seven. They were actually tied in that first race as well. And (laughs) last night, they were nearly tied. Um, You had Ralph Norman, who is the more conservative of the two. The last time I checked was ahead by about 200 votes, which triggers an automatic recount in South Carolina. So we still don't know who the winner will be. It'll be interesting to see. I think Democrats would much rather run against Norman. Like I said, he is more conservative. He's been backed by Ted Cruz, by the Club for Growth. He has said that he would join the House Freedom Caucus. Um, So potentially a less viable general election candidate for a Democrat to go up against. And these two races in South Carolina and Montana, these were, were considered kind of a little bit of a reach for Democrats yeah. in in 2016, right. and and now you know they, they were there wasn't a ton of enthusiasm, and then all of a sudden you know the the president uh, you know discloses classified information <laughs> to the Russian diplomats, or the House passes a health care bill, and and now it's interesting. Is there any? Um, 
Is there, is there any remorse among Democrats <laughs> that you're picking up that they didn't take these races as seriously as they could have early on? Yeah, I think you're hearing mixed things on that. There is certainly the argument, especially coming out of Washington here from Democrats at the committees, et cetera, that they really couldn't get involved. You saw that argument, especially in Kansas, where the Democrat really did fly under the radar and folks were surprised a week out. Republicans got polling back that showed it really close, closer mm-hmm. than it should have been for such a solidly red district. This is the Pompeo district. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Kansas mm-hmm. 4. Mm-hmm. And so the argument from Democrats here was that that candidate was able to do that because he was not attached to the national environment. You know, he could not have been tarred as being a national Democrat. Of course, Republicans made that argument anyway. They always right. compare any <laughs> congressional right. candidate to Nancy Pelosi. Right. That's the shtick. So I or think saddle them with Obamacare. Uh, either right. one, yes. <laughs> so you have seen Democrats actually since then up their playing in Montana. They've invested over half a million dollars. South Carolina, not so much. I think the Democratic candidate, Archie Parnell, again, there would like He's to see. He's a tax attorney, right? He has a tax attorney, yes. And he looks like one, too. He does. He's got the tortoiseshell glasses. <laughs> He's got some dad pants that he wears. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He would like... Like, like I think literally pleated pants, you know. <laughs> it, it's a good role. Yeah. He would like some more assistance from Washington, I would think. Um, he has made the argument that, you know, if there is a partisan shift the same way we saw in Kansas, where Trump won handily, but the Republican candidate, Ron Estes, only won by seven points. If there was that kind of similar shift in numbers in his district, he would win. Mm -hmm. That's a fair point. I I think most folks would still say it's a likely or even safe Republican seat at this point. But again, a lot depends on who the nominee on the Republican side ends up being. And depending on who that is, you might see more investment from national Democrats looking to capitalize. So in Georgia, which mm-hmm. which is you know was 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 sort of the uh, the, the hot the real hot race, yeah. you know, and 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 has been millions of dollars have poured into this. I mean, for a, for a house race, it's just it's it's, it's all, the most it, expensive it, ever. Most expensive house race ever. I mean, like more expensive than I think the last Senate race there almost. <laughs> um, no, it's mm-hmm. no, it's more competitive. So what is going on there? You've got the Democrat John Ossoff mm-hmm. uh, and the Republican Karen Handel. We saw Paul Ryan down there. Yeah. Uh, it is again the the elephant in the room uh, or the trump in the room if you will yeah. is is are we seeing that playing out there because it seems like the georgia thing has been going on forever and this is the vacancy created by tom price who's right. now the hhs secretary and and is the sort of the face of of trump care too now yes yeah and so it's important to remember i think that the reason the only reason that this race is on the map at all is because of trump trump barely won here he won by less than 2 points that was a pretty big shock for a solidly republican district i mean I think Price won something by 20-something points last fall. So there was a, a stark contrast there in Republican performance. The fact that Clinton came so close allowed congressional Democrats to say, hey, we might be able to put this on the map. And mm-hmm. you've seen that emerge as a theme throughout the race. Ossoff says that he has been able to court um, moderate Republicans and independents who are concerned about Trump. He's backed off from talking explicitly about the president on the campaign trail, at least not as much as he did at the beginning. I think now he doesn't feel like he needs to run against Trump because he actually has a Republican opponent right Mm -hmm. there in the district. Karen Handel was probably the Republican who distanced herself the most from Trump during the very crowded 18-person all party primary, otherwise like known the cast as of jungle Yeehaw. primary. Yeah. Yes. Grandpa Jones. <laughs> but since then, you have seen her inch a little bit closer to the president. He held a fundraiser for her down there in Atlanta when he was there for the NRA convention or whatever it was. Money bombs over so many wounds. It, it certainly does. It makes people forget a lot of things. So 
as Democrats are, you know, they're, 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 they really are trying to seize the, the momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're, they have any choice of scandals with the, with the White House that they can latch on to. Are there dangers for them? Are there pitfalls in them mm-hmm. sort of overplaying their hand where people might want to stick up for the president and or they want to send a message to, you know, you Washington Democrats can't come down here and tell me how I'm supposed to feel about my president talking to Russian diplomats. I, I don't know. Is, is, sure. are, are there dangers for the Democrats here? You know, I think that's certainly a possibility. I think that's why you've seen in these traditionally red districts that the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, has been wary of stepping their toe in, at least in a very public way. I mean, even in Georgia, the early investment that they did was sending field staffers down to help organize, mm-hmm. to create an infrastructure. They weren't going on TV. I mean, they couldn't because it was still a primary, but they were not blasting their name <laughs> all right. over the place. And same with John also, if you don't see him declaring himself a Democrat. So there's not the kind of need to make it a partisan issue. I think it's much more about being a, a check on the president, regardless of party. And they're seeing that potentially that could be a message that voters respond to, even Republicans. Well, it's, it seems like we're, uh, we're we're not going to want for any number of things <laughs> that people can talk about, whether or they want to bring you know, Washington and particularly the Trump White House, mm-hmm. uh, either either for or against. I mean, I was sort of fascinated that to see the, you know, this sort of open embrace of, of Republican leaders down in, in Georgia, you yep. know, in, in this sort of marginal district. All right. Very good. Thank you very much, Simone, for showing uh, us, you know, kind of what you're well, actually showing. We're on we're on a podcast. We're, we're listening, <laughs> <laughs> telling us, <laughs> telling us what you've heard and what you've uh, learned on the campaign trail and, and here in Washington. It's going to be a fascinating uh, you know, summer as we process all this Indeed. stuff. Great. Thank you. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. Thanks for listening.